Ephesians chapter 1. I am not doing my typical introductory lesson to a book of the Bible. Ephesians, I will say a couple of things very briefly. Ephesians is another one of the prison, so-called prison epistles, like Philippians. It is a book written from his imprisonment towards the end of his life to a congregation that he had been with previously before. You can read a bunch of that in Acts, uh, various things that went on in Ephesus, a number of people really. Uh, Ephesus is one of the I would say hub churches of the New Testament. We have a lot of things that go on in the book of Acts. And then, of course, we have the the letter to the Ephesians. And then there's uh, some time that John spent in Ephesus, uh, connected to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then, of course, Revelation. One of the churches is Ephesus, right, in Revelation. So a hub church for the plan of the first century and things that are going on in the first century. And so we're going to dig into the text. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 is where we will just read the first 14 verses. And as we read these, we're going to read them all in order. I want to note three things that we're going to talk about tonight. I want you to note, first, the things that God did, God's actions in these verses. Uh, Number two, why God did those things, the things that God did and his motivations behind it. And number three, how those actions of God have benefited us. So, beginning in Ephesians 1, verse 3, after his traditional greeting in the first two verses, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. One of the things you will note is the crazy run-on sentences of Paul. He did this in Philippians too. So many run-on sentences. that Sentences can be hard to keep track of as you go. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. I love that word lavished. He has lavished. What does that mean? He has given generously and so much and poured it out upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice how many times we've already seen the word purpose several times in the text, his purpose, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. First, we must note that God acted first. We're going to talk about uh, one of the main ideas about this lesson is the idea of the main character. Uh, People have main character syndrome. They think it's all about them, right? They're the star of the movie of their lives. And, And, you know, main character in movies or books or TV shows, we get their perspective. They're the ones that are focused on the narrative. And all the stuff that happens in the story is about them or connected to them or helps them or hinders them in some way, right? We have this idea maybe that we are the main character of our lives. We are not. God is the one who acted first. He is the main driver of the story, and all things that happen are connected to him. What did he do? The actions of God we see here. Number one, he blessed. He blessed, and that's a very broad term, right? To make happy or blessed, to, to be a benefit to. 
Uh, he chose. That was another action of God. Who did he choose? What did he choose? We'll talk about that in a minute, uh, along with this idea of he predestined. This is a variant of the word chose. He chose, and predestined specifically means he chose or determined beforehand. Before what? Well, we'll talk about that too. He adopted. This idea of he adopted who? Us. He brought us into his family. He wanted us to be a part of his family. He lavished. There's that word. I love that word. He lavished grace upon us. He, he poured it out so generously. He, he immersed us in grace, so much grace, more than we could have. He revealed or made known. This is going to be one of the themes of the book of Ephesians, the mystery of God. Well, that mystery, the hidden knowledge of God, he has revealed, he has made it known to us. He sealed us. This idea of sealing is like a stamp of authenticity, right? We don't really use seals anymore. But, you know, you'd put a letter in it and you'd pour some wax on the envelope and you had like a ring or like a stamp and you'd seal it. And that would be the idea that this definitely comes from so-and-so. That's the idea of a seal. He gave us his mark of authenticity. When did he decide to do all this? The text is very clear. He decided to do all these things before the foundation of the world. So... Those of you who are in our Thursday night study are going to groan a little bit inside as we're talking about predestination. But I have to say we're just going where the text leads, and this is where the text leads. If you want to be a part of our Thursday study, we've spent the last like four weeks talking about predestination in Romans. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, that is, determined us beforehand, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, here's that word again, predestined, having been determined beforehand to receive the inheritance, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I want you to note the link. He predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. He predestined us for the inheritance according to the purpose of his will. This is his doing, his choice, his purpose, not ours. Romans 8, 29 would say it this way. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I want to make the distinction here. The idea of predestined is not foreknowledge. That's a different word. He uses that. He foreknew. He knew beforehand, and then he determined beforehand to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he determined beforehand, predestined, I'm going to keep using that phrase because the word predestined is so much baggage with it. He called and those he called, he justified and those he justified, he glorified. If God is omniscient, it is unavoidable that God knew before the foundation of the world who would be adopted as sons. We can put daughters there, but sons and daughters, that's, that's all of us, people who were adopted as his children. He must have known that before the foundation of the world. Otherwise, let's say it this way, if he didn't know that before the foundation of the world, he is not omniscient, because that knowledge of who would be adopted as sons is part of the set of all knowledge. For him to have all knowledge means he knew it beforehand. This understandably causes some confusion and conflict, right? Okay, well, if he knew it beforehand, what does that mean for me? What does that mean about all those who are not saved? What does that mean about that? Broadly speaking, then, there are three ways to approach this. And I want to really make this clear. That in the next ten minutes that we talk about predestination, I'm not going to talk about everything there is to talk about. Right? Ten minutes is woefully insufficient. I'm going to give you a primer. This is a brief overview. 
If you have questions about this, this is one of the things that I think can trip up a lot of people in our faith. If you have questions about this, please come talk to me. Do not think that 10 minutes of a sermon on Sunday night is going to give you the breadth of understanding about this subject. I'm going to talk about it as sort of an introduction to it. But if you have deeper questions, let's talk about it, okay? Let's, let's address these things. Generally speaking, you can approach this in three ways. Extreme sovereignty. I'm going to use some big words tonight, guys. Also called unconditional election or irresistible grace. The idea that you're just saved who you are and it just is what it is. Uh, we can think about extreme agency. Agency would be the opposite of sovereignty. Agency, I guess God is an agent as well. Uh, that really refers to our agency. Uh, called Arminianism in some circles. Named after a 17th century theologian. We'll talk about what that means. And the other alternative is some sort of coexistence. The, the idea that these things can both be true. We'll talk about that too as we go. Let's start with extreme sovereignty. The idea that God set up his plan, and as a cursory reading of Ephesians 1 would give us this impression, that God set up his plan before the foundation of the world, including who would be saved and who wouldn't, and we have no say. Just is what it is. You don't get to choose. Too bad for you. Romans 9, it says it this way, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. What problems does this idea present? To us. There is really only one problem, and that is, what's the point? So, so what? If this is the case, might as well go home, because you were always going to go home and you couldn't do anything about it. Right? You're here tonight. It wasn't your choice that you'd be here tonight. You're here tonight because that was how God set it up, and here you are, and you can't really have any credit for that because God did that. What you do doesn't matter. That's the logical conclusion to this idea. Maybe you're going to be faithful, maybe you're not, but at the end of the day, not up to you. Which ultimately deprives us of being made in God's image. If, I, if this is the case, I'm not made in God's image. I'm just some robot that works out some eternal plan that I have no way of avoiding. Right? It, it strips us of being the very kind of beings that God is, with will and volition, and ultimately makes evangelism pointless. You were going to evangelize or not, that wasn't up to you. They're going to believe or not, that's not up to them. Of course, we could go the other way, extreme agency. That human choice is paramount to the extent that God either cannot or chooses not to know for certain what will happen until we choose it, which is a way of, of trying to have free will with also the omniscience of God, right? That, well, maybe God doesn't really know everything. Maybe he is willfully ignorant of it. A couple of verses about this that are really unusual. Genesis 6, 5 through 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in all the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Well, you'd think he would have known that before he made man. You'd think he would have understood he's going to make man, we're going to have the Garden of Eden, and they're going to get kicked out, and then they're going to have these, these period of time. And Why would he regret that? He knew it was going to happen in the beginning. 
certainly we, it seems to be the case that if he regretted that he had did this, he, he was maybe caught unaware somehow that they got so evil. We could think about Exodus 32. God's going to smite the Israelites. And it certainly seems to be the case that Moses talks them out of it. Well, if God knew he was never going to smite the Israelites, why did he present the idea that he was to Moses? Why even go through this business if, if he's going to have this argument? Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? How can you talk God out of something if he knew it was already going to happen? If he knew he was already going to make that choice? And yet, if God is unaware of what we will choose, if God was unaware at the beginning of time, what does that say about his character? He is not infinite, if that is the case. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, if that's the case. And yet, his perfect knowledge and understanding is one of the pillars of his worthiness of worship. Why is he worthy of worship? Because he knows everything. He has all understanding. God is, I want to be very clear, clearly omniscient. He knows all things. He has always, because he does not change, he has always known all things. You ever thought about that? If God cannot change, there is no information that could be presented to him that he didn't already know. Because if he was able to learn new information, he would change. He would be one way before and then another way after that. If God cannot change, logically it follows that he is and always has been and always will be omniscient, because new information changes the one who receives it. The extension of this then is, yes, that God did know what we would choose before we chose it, and yet God also clearly demands human choice. It's saturated throughout the Bible. Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins shall die. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father the iniquity of the son, but the one who sins will die. He says it this way in Romans 11, verse 22. Note the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Well, that's weird language. Provided you continue in his kindness. If I don't have a choice, there, there's no provided. It just is what it is. I'm either going to be in his kindness or not. And yet Paul certainly seems to be saying here that I have some say in that. It's up to me. Provided I continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will also be cut off. And even they, of course, speaking of that Jews who rejected Jesus, if they do not continue in their, in their unbelief, if, if they do not continue, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Let's put it this way. If we have no choice, at best, it's disingenuous for God to present salvation in this way. That's at best. At worst, it's an outright lie. At worst, he's lying to us to say that I can continue or not in unbelief of my own decision, that I need to be aware and work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a bold-faced lie if I have no choice. So what do we do? The overwhelming message of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is that God acted first according to his plan and purpose. Several times the text says, according to his purpose, the purpose of his will. He made sure to accomplish the things that he wanted to, regardless of our choices. There are certain things that God wanted to accomplish, 
that he is not going to allow you or I to choose otherwise. There are things that are going to happen that he is going to dictate to happen. He decided those things when? Before the foundation of the world. He decided to do these things. And at that point, before the foundation of the world, he did know that some people would respond favorably. He even knew who would respond favorably. And if you have that level of knowledge, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this, guys. I think about this. It gives me a little bit of headache. To know every decision in the history of the world. Can you imagine the amount of information that is? Let's think about how many decisions you made today. When you decided when to get up, maybe you made that decision yesterday. You heard your alarm. The first decision was what? I'm not going to chuck this thing across the room. That's what I felt. Maybe you didn't feel that. And then after that, it was a series of decisions. Hundreds of little tiny decisions. Maybe thousands. I don't know. It'd, be hard to, it'd really be hard to quantify. And yet he knew all of that, not just for me, for every human that's ever lived, ever will live, at the beginning of time, he knew that. Which means that he is able to do what? Because of that knowledge, he is able to act in such a way to accomplish his purpose while still allow us to make those choices. Not only is he omniscient, he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Knowing from the beginning how we would decide allowed him to orchestrate what? Those many blessings? for those who would respond, to provide every spiritual blessing, to set up the system of adoption, he says, to set up the inheritance. We've been predestined to adoption. We've been predestined to an inheritance. To set all that up knowing who's going to respond favorably and who's not. Who's going to choose to accept and who isn't. Who is going to receive these blessings that I will bestow and who will not. He was able to do that in the knowledge of what needed to happen and how we would react, and yet cannot we cannot stress this enough. We're going to say this one more time before the end. He still puts the onus on individuals, us, to choose to love as he does. There is no way to read the Bible honestly and miss the overwhelming impetus of the story, as Joshua would say, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. If you have no choice, then God is allowing Joshua to speak an untruth. Because you don't have a choice. But we do. Why? Why did God do all this then? Why go through all this business? Why have all of creation work out the way that he has, knowing, again, how he would choose, and yet choosing to accomplish things according to the purpose of his will, why do anything at all? Well, we see some answers here. Number one, he did so out of love. And a couple, of, I'm going to put all these up here at once, actually, because twice he says this phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace. He did this in large part for his own glory. Isn't that what he said to Pharaoh? We read in Romans 9, he says of Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's what he's saying here. Why did he go through all this business of the adoption and the predestination and, and the sacrifice and all these things? To the praise of his glorious grace. To demonstrate the riches of his grace, he says in verse 7. Ultimately, we can't get around this. He did it because he wanted to. 
his purpose, his will. Paul says it twice in the text, in verse 9 and verse 11. Verse 11 will read, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, and I want to note this very carefully, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ultimately, God acted to acted because he wanted to for a variety of reasons. Because he loves us, because he wanted to demonstrate his power, because he wanted to give us an inheritance, because he wanted some people to choose to love him and then to lavish upon them, blessing upon blessing, those who would choose to love him. And the point is this. God, I want to reiterate, not humans. God is the main character in the story of life. In every story, God is the main character. In all of them put together, the narrative of human history, not just human history, the narrative of all history in the entire universe, he is the primary actor. He is the driver of events. He is the first worker. We all respond to his actions. We are the secondary characters of his story. Which is why he says it's to the praise of his glorious grace. Everything that happens points back to who he is. We still choose what part we play, and yet God has acted on that knowledge. He foreknew those who would choose to love him. And so in that way, even so, all of our choices are subservient and dependent on the choices of God. Even though we make them, I want to make that very clear. God has iterated over and over the importance of choosing to love and obey and serve him. And yet we choose that. He has allowed us, because of his grace, to make that choice and to bear the consequences of that action. Fortunately, because of his grace and love, his actions were ultimately for our benefit, the benefit of his people. And so we think, finally, how do we benefit from his actions well, we receive, as he says in the first verse here, every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. I want to note, I talked about it this morning, I want to reiterate again, not, not every physical blessing. You cannot, you cannot get around that. I'm really harping on the prosperity gospel here because I hate it so much. God has not offered every physical blessing. He has offered every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, what are those? Holiness and blamelessness. He's offered us those, to be holy, to be blameless. Doesn't mean you've never sinned, and yet he's not going to blame you for it, right? The sin has been washed away. It has been purified by the blood of Jesus. As part of that, he's offered the adoption as sons and, I would put here, and daughters, not just men who are sons of God, right? But who gets to be in his family? Well, everyone who's going to respond to his will favorably. Those get to be in his family. That's the blessing that he has given us. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter where you're going. Doesn't matter your past. You now have an eternal, immortal, spiritual family. Hopefully part of this group here. We're just one small part of it though, right? We talked about that this morning too. The blessings of grace. Do you need grace? I need grace probably said some stupid stuff today even. Maybe I was unkind. Maybe I had some sort of sinful thought. I need grace moment to moment. And yet, because of his eternal purpose, the actions that he, and again, it's sort of humbling, not sort of, it just is humbling to think of this. 
that before the foundation of the world, God knew that he would provide for me grace in my time of need. That he would provide for you from the foundation of the world that on this day, in this moment, you would need this grace. Really puts into perspective that he is the main character, not us. Redemption and forgiveness. Of course, these all go together, right? We have redemption and forgiveness. That's what allows us to be holy and blameless. That is the grace, right? The grace is redemption and forgiveness, that I am forgiven of those things that I should not have done. The blessing of knowledge. One of the things that he did is he made known or revealed the mystery of his will. What is the mystery of his will? Well, he has a whole chapter on this later in Ephesians, but we'll say it now briefly. The mystery of his will, the Gentiles' inclusion, and what God expects of us. I don't have to stumble around in the dark. I know what God wants. I know what God is doing. Not all of it, but I know what I need to know about what God is doing. I don't have to wonder where I came from. I don't have to wonder what the point of all this is. I don't have to wonder what my purpose in life is. I know those things. And that is a great blessing to be certain of my eternal purpose because it's his eternal purpose. Unity with him is another blessing that he has offered to us. Again, tied to adoption too, right? It's going to unite us in him. The inheritance. The inheritance, not necessarily now, although we, we have part of it now, but the inheritance to be received in eternity, right? That blessing that we do not experience fully now, but will eventually. And the promised Holy Spirit. These are not, I want to be very clear, this is not every spiritual blessing. He has provided to us with every spiritual blessing of which these are some. That's how we should look at the text here. He has provided us with every spiritual blessing and here's eight of them. Are there more spiritual blessings than this? Absolutely there are. These are the ones he has chosen to highlight in these verses. The promise of the Holy Spirit to receive, to be sealed by his Holy Spirit. What a blessing. And so we conclude with Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. And I want to note again the simultaneous ideas of his predestination, his acting and determining beforehand, and the demand of our response as these simultaneously coexist in his infinite nature. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first in hope to hope in Christ, who's the we that were the first to hope in Christ? Might be the Jews, might be the apostles, might be the early church, but either way, might be to the praise of his glory. We're the first, but we're just in service of his glory. Even them being first, that wasn't that great, because it goes back to him. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him you, when you believed. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Twice, to the praise of his glory. Even after emphasizing the purpose of God, the eternal nature of that purpose, that it was established before the foundation of the world, that he would do these things, that he had decided to do these things for us. What does he say? 
you, when you heard and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Which means what? Not everybody who hears the message will be sealed. But only if we believe. Belief is a choice. It's a choice that we make every day in the face of a world that does not believe, that would like you to believe a lie, right? The world would like you to believe a lie. In the face of suffering that hides his face from us, that makes him seem far off, we make this choice in the face of temptation. Yeah, if I believe this, then I really can't do this thing that I want. Right? I really can't do this other thing that I would really like to do, but you know... So we make the choice, moment after moment, day after day, week after week, the choice to believe that his will matters more than mine. That what he wants takes precedent over what I want because this is his story. It's not mine. I get to play a part of it. I get to be some small part of it. Why? Because of his grace. Because he has allowed me to participate in it. He has allowed me to benefit from it. If what? If I believe. And so we offer the invitation. The invitation to believe in the gospel message. That God created you for a purpose. We'll talk about that a little bit in chapter 2. That God not just created you for a purpose, but that you corrupted that purpose. Isn't that part of the belief that we have? That we corrupted the purpose that he had for us? But that he did not let that stop him. He sent his son anyway to die for us, to take the place of that punishment, to wash away, to give us redemption and forgiveness and blamelessness. If we will accept it on his terms, not ours, on his terms be immersed into Christ, repent of our sins, choose to walk in a new way, then what's the promise? We will have the inheritance. Do you want the inheritance? Do you want the inheritance? Yes, we want the inheritance. I hope you do at least. Come while we stand and sing.